So we've been in Galatians 5 for a little while. We looked at some of the concepts in Galatians 5. What, is, what does Paul mean by the flesh? What does Paul mean by the spirit? What does it mean that those who are led by the spirit are not under law and so forth? And then we, over the last number of weeks, we've begun the actual list. And so we've looked at love, joy, peace, patience, and kindness. And this morning we're looking at the fruit of the Spirit, which is goodness. And what I would like to point out to you is that this passage does not say that the fruit of the Spirit is non-badness. The main idea of the sermon this morning is that avoiding sins of commission is not nearly all that God requires of us or that He designs for us to be. God intends for us not simply to be non-bad, negatively defined, but God designs for us to be actually good, which is the addition of something positive. So I'll elaborate on that uh, throughout the course of our study. The first point that I wanted to, to draw to your attention is this. Many Christians wrongly conceive of the Christian life as basically not doing certain things. Don't bow in front of idols. Don't sleep with someone you're not married to. Don't kill people. This is the most basic outworking of obeying the Ten Commandments, since all of them begin with thou shalt not. Now these conclusions aren't wrong, of course. It's true that we ought not to do these things, but, they're, but just such a simplistic understanding is woefully inadequate. So some people say, yeah, of course that's woefully inadequate. Because Jesus taught us that not only should we not commit adultery outwardly, but we shouldn't do it inwardly either, through lustful thoughts. So not only do we have to not commit adultery outwardly, but we also have to do away with pornography, and even less explicit, but still provocative TV shows and movies. And of course, not only should we not kill people, but we have to figure out how to get a handle on the sinful anger in our hearts. So yeah, okay, we get it. We, we have a fully orbed understanding now. It's not simply thou shalt not do the outward things, but it's also thou shalt not do the inward things. So we get it. We got it. That's what God wants from us. Basically just don't do certain things. That's the Christian life. But even that is woefully inadequate. I say that Christians wrongly conceive of the Christian life as basically not doing certain things. It's wrong to understand the Christian life basically as not doing certain things because God requires so much more than just non-badness, if I could put it that way. Even the Ten Commandments themselves imply the opposite of what is forbidden. It's an established principle of interpreting the Ten Commandments to say, as the Westminster Larger Catechism does in Question 99, which is a staple of Reformed doctrine, quote, where a sin is forbidden, the contrary duty is commanded. End quote. Like we're... We're not to understand when it, when it says thou shalt have 
no other gods before me, merely that we're not to worship idols. Implicit in that don't worship idols is worship the one true God. Not only do we have to avoid adultery, but we have to cultivate faithfulness to our own spouses and nurture our marriages. Instead of merely not killing people, like what a great success we have been if we get through a day and haven't killed anyone, pat yourself on the back because you've lived up to God's standard for how you relate to your neighbor. Give me a break, that's, that's so basic. So, so basic. Instead of merely not killing people, which I endorse, don't mishear me, I endorse that we ought not to kill people. But more than that, the opposite. We should be life-sustaining and life-enriching. And in, in that sense, not literally biologically life-giving, but in a sense, life-giving people in our interactions with our neighbors and our friends and our co-workers and so on and so forth. Not only are we take, not taking away their lives, but we're enriching and adding and sustaining and bringing value and nurturing. This is the kind of people that we ought to be. This is all implied in a proper understanding of the Ten Commandments, which is a summary of God's law. And the rest of the scripture reinforces this understanding. Think, for example, even of the other great summary of God's law. Love God and love neighbor. It doesn't say thou shalt not be unloving to God. Thou shalt not be unloving to thy neighbor. It, it, even there, where the scripture holds these duties of love and law as being different ways of saying one and the same thing. The Ten Commandments generally do state things negatively, but, but even the, the summary, love God, let's do something. Love neighbor, do something. It's not negatively defined there in that summary. And then we're commanded lots and lots of places elsewhere in Scripture to do something, to actively be engaged in something. For example, Galatians 6.10, just one chapter, just a few short verses after what we're looking at in Galatians 5. Do good to everyone, especially to those who are of the household of faith. And in Philippians chapter 2 and verse 4, let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 12, whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. The scripture requires us to be actively engaged in doing good. You simply cannot read the scriptures properly and come away thinking that if you merely don't do certain things, then you have therefore and thereby done all that God requires of you. You have become what God intends for you to be if you simply don't do certain things. You can't read the scriptures properly and come away with that conclusion. As I mentioned a few moments ago, as I phrased it a few moments ago, God intends for us not simply to be non-bad, but for us to be actually good. 
which is the addition of something positive. Therefore, flowing from that, God requires you to not merely tinker your life away while avoiding scandalous sin. God requires you to not merely tinker your life away while avoiding scandalous sin. Many Christians just think that if they can work their jobs and then go home and, and watch some good clean programming on Netflix or even, or even better, Pure Flix or some other Christian knockoff, right? Because remember, we, we can't do the bad things. You can't watch the bad things, right? So if you can just work your job, go home and watch Netflix or Pure Flix, and just avoid adultery and get your pornography habit under control and keep from getting into fights and keep from feeling unrighteously angry and just kind of keep your head down and avoid any scandals and get through the next 40 years like that, then you're going to be Christians par excellence. You're laughing, right? But, but think about it. A lot of people live that way. They basically define Christianity as pretty much don't do bad stuff. And so what, what God intends, what, what the Holy Spirit is aiming at and shaping you into is basically someone who doesn't do bad stuff. That's it. But what kind of husband is it who merely doesn't do anything bad to his wife? What kind of dad is it who merely doesn't do anything bad to his kids? Like, obviously, a husband shouldn't do bad stuff to his wife. It shouldn't, a dad shouldn't do bad stuff to his kids, obviously. But if, if, if a guy was saying, look, I'm a, I'm a really good husband. Like, I don't do anything bad to my wife. You know? I mean, it goes to show how good I am. Because I don't do anything bad to her. And I don't, you know, I don't, I don't mistreat my kids, you know, so I'm a good, good dad. Like, can't, can't you see how woefully inadequate it is merely to not do bad stuff? This is just an example to illustrate that principle. A Christian can't just go through this world merely not doing bad and consider his life a success in God's eyes, that he's become what God intends for him to be, that the Holy Spirit has seen the fullness of his work come to fruition in making a non-bad person, that the Word of God has shaped him into a non-bad person. Now, obviously, when you hear me saying you need to do good, you need to not merely avoid bad, but embrace good. This raises the question, how can you spend your life well? What does a truly good life look like? This is the first point at which the Holy Spirit desires to bear the fruit of goodness in you. The Holy Spirit will illuminate the meaning of Scripture to you. As you make it your careful and prayerful object to study and understand what a truly good life looks like. The Holy Spirit will help you with that. 
It's not just you and the Bible. Remember when we were, we were talking about the introduction, some of the introductory concepts to this section of Scripture. It's not merely that you have the Bible to aid you in your sanctification, but that you have the Holy Spirit to aid you also in your sanctification. And I define that and nuance that at length, lest anyone get upset that I'm setting the Spirit against the Bible. Spirit works together with, in harmony with the Bible, and so on and so forth. Go back and listen to that sermon. But my point is that we, we too often, we, we think of growing in the Christian life like me and my Bible. As if there is no Holy Spirit. As if when you read, you marshal up your mental faculties, and it's just you and the Bible. And there is no Holy Spirit. This is not the way that it is. The Holy Spirit helps us understand as we read and as we study. He illuminates the meaning of Scripture for us and helps us get it. When you pick up your Bible in the morning, the blessed Holy Spirit is there to help you understand the text. And then the Holy Spirit will be at work prompting and leading you as to the application of Scripture in the midst of your specific circumstances. So you read, for example, love your neighbor as yourself. And someone comes to mind around you in your life that's in need. And all of a sudden you feel cut to the heart, hey, I should do something about that. Well, you know where that came from? Probably the Holy Spirit. As you read, love your neighbor, and all of a sudden you feel this conviction in your heart that there's someone in your circle that's in need and that you can help them. That's probably the Holy Spirit prompting you with respect to a specific application of the general principle to love your neighbor. We don't believe in the Reformed tradition that the Holy Spirit speaks to you in the sense of words that you could just take take what you heard, quote unquote, for those who are just listening, and write it down as the 67th book of the Bible, which, which you could if the Holy Spirit actually spoke to you. That's the words of God, just as much as Romans is. We don't believe that the Holy Spirit speaks to you in that sense. But, but on, the, on the flip side, we don't believe that there is no Holy Spirit and that the Holy Spirit stopped being involved in the lives of His people since the first century. We don't believe that the Holy Spirit doesn't help us understand the Bible and that you're on your own now. We don't believe that the Holy Spirit never convicts you about sin and prompts you with respect to taking actions which are consistent and harmonious with what the Bible teaches us. Now we believe what Galatians 5 says, that the Holy Spirit desires to bear certain fruit in you. And that the Holy Spirit is actively at work in the midst of your sanctification, just as the flesh is actively at work against your sanctification. And so your growth in holiness is not just you and the Bible and your flesh. But the Holy Spirit is at work in your life, helping you understand what a good life looks like as it comes to the fruit of goodness. The Holy Spirit is going to help you understand what the Bible teaches about what is good and what we ought to spend our lives doing and pursuing actively as opposed to just 
avoiding what is bad. And he's going to impress upon you how those general objective principles which we, which we find in our work work out very specifically in our everyday lives, our specific circumstances. What does a truly good life look like? How will you know when you are living a truly good life? Let's back up a little bit. I already said that the Holy Spirit will help you, but when I ask you those questions, do you assume that you already know the answer? If I say to you, what does a truly good life look like? How are you going to know when you're living a truly good life? Well, my parents taught me such and such. Or I was raised to understand that a good life is a life in which such and such is accomplished. Are you more prepared to listen to your parents than the Holy Spirit? Well, in college, we learned that a good life is such and such. Or I had a mentor once who taught me that a good life is such and such. Or I read, I read a book, not the Bible, and in that book I learned that a good life is a life in which such and such. Are you more prepared to listen to your, your college professors or your mentors or other books than you are to listen to the Holy Spirit? Think about what you are aiming at. Where did that come from? What are you trying to do with your life? And where did that come from? What do you hope you have accomplished when they finally lay you in the grave? And where did that come from? See, we're all, we're all cool to say, yeah, the Bible, the Holy Spirit guides us as to what's good. But how is that working out functionally in your life? What are you aiming at and where did that come from? Who can teach you what a truly good life looks like? Many will offer their perspective. But who will you listen to? Give some thought to how you define a good life. What, is it, what does it look like to spend your life well? What things are you aiming at? What things are you pursuing? What things are you prioritizing? And where did that come from? Again, the Holy Spirit will illuminate the meaning of Scripture as you make it your careful and prayerful object of study to understand what a truly good life looks like. And then the Holy Spirit will be at work prompting and leading you as to the application of Scripture in the midst of your specific circumstances. And when you listen to the Holy Spirit speaking through and applying Scripture to your life, you will realize that goodness is manifest in a simultaneously ordinary and unusual lifestyle. I say that goodness is manifest in an ordinary lifestyle because goodness really does look like working hard at your job and being a good mom or dad, paying your bills on time, etc. Ordinary things, which even unbelievers may do 
apart from any special work of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit will bring you first to these basic things if you're not already doing them. These things are genuinely good and are part and parcel of a genuinely good life. Listen to these scriptures. Aspire to live quietly, to mind your own affairs, and to work with your hands. 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 11. Train up a child in the way he should go. Proverbs 22, and verse 6. Pay to all what is owed to them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed. Revenue to whom revenue is owed. Respect to whom respect is owed. Honor to whom honor is owed. Romans 13 and verse 7. So, a good life may be in some sense very ordinary. A quiet life. Minding your own business. Working a blue collar job. Raising kids. Paying taxes. Etc. You don't necessarily need to go be eaten by cannibals on a foreign continent in order to live a truly good life. The Holy Spirit will bring you will bring you first to simply these these common, ordinary, basic goodnesses, if I can put it this way. However, I say that a good life will be a simultaneously ordinary and unusual lifestyle, which may sound nonsensical, but let me explain. The good life will be simultaneously unusual in one sense, even if it is ordinary in another sense. To give just one example of how this may be the case. If the gospel comes to a pretty dysfunctional family, or to a pretty dysfunctional culture or subculture, and all of a sudden, people who were cannibals stop being cannibals. All of a sudden, people who were unemployed and, and delinquent, not even seeking employment and, and being, being lazy and jobless and getting up to no good, start getting jobs and holding them down. Stop using drugs and drinking excessively. Embrace monogamous sexual relationships and become committed to family, etc. Well, that would be pretty unusual in contrast with what the family was previously, or what the culture was previously, or the subculture was previously. All of a sudden, in that context, the people who embrace the gospel and the ordinary goodness that the gospel leads us to, all of a sudden those people are viewed as unusual in their context. But there is another sense also in which the good life that the Spirit brings us into will be unusual even when compared to the relatively, to relatively healthy and normal, in quotes, families and cultures in which unbelieving people lead relatively whole and stable lives. Because the Spirit's influence in our lives will make us do things like making worship a non-negotiable priority in our lives, 
so that we're in church on time. As often as your church meets, come hell or high water. The Spirit's influence on our lives will make us feel like even that is not enough of the Word of God or the people of God. And we'll crave more time with God's people. And we'll build meaningful relationships with God's people outside of church on Sundays. And we'll start to view things like community group here at CRBC as beneficial and desirable opportunities to be in the Word again and around God's people again. We'll view things like the health fair that we ran yesterday as being things we want to be part of and want to be involved in, and so on and so forth. The Holy Spirit will bring us into a lifestyle that is very unusual. Even in spite of the fact that it's ordinary in another sense. The unbelievers around us, or, or even immature believers around us, in whom this fruit has not been born yet, those who are green on the vine, may ask us, why are you so committed to your church? Can't you just skip this service one time for this special occasion? When I was in Canada, it, it boggled my mind that Sunday evening on Super Bowl Sunday, church attendance was down. Look, I like football. Okay, but that's straight up idolatry. You skip church to watch the Super Bowl, that's idolatry. Simple as that. Or isn't Sunday enough? Why do you go to church midweek too? You read your Bible every day? I'm sick of hearing about Jesus. Can't you give it a break? I'm not a religious fanatic like you. Why do you keep trying with that person when they treat you so badly over and over again? And so on and so forth. So here you are, living this very ordinary life, right? You're raising kids, you're paying your taxes, paying your bills, working your blue-collar job, all the ordinary stuff that the Holy Spirit is going to bear in your life. He's, he's going to make you. I, I met this guy years ago, like, like working age, healthy, able-bodied. I wasn't a pastor at the time, and... and um, uh, so I was, I was just sitting in, in a pew with him during, during church and after church I introduced myself to him, started getting to know him a bit better. I said, he said he was in town for the summer. I said, oh cool, what, I said, what are you doing? Like, what's your job? He said, oh I don't, I don't have a job. I said, oh cool. I, I said, but you're, you're, what kind of field are you trying to get into? He said, well I'm actually not even applying for jobs. So what are you doing? He said, I'm just going around town releasing the angelic. And I was like, oh. So we had a little conversation about his, his super spiritual mentality, right? In which having a job was kind of unnecessary. And like really what God wanted to do in his life was, was release the angelic in our city. All right, look. The Holy Spirit is going to make you like people. Paying your bills people. Raising your kids responsibly people. Right? where God is trying to make you less than or other than like a stable 
healthy, responsible person is a mentality in which you got what the Holy Spirit's up to in your life all wrong. Right? So the, so the Holy Spirit makes you a, a hardworking person, makes you a responsible person, helps you be a, good, a better parent, uh, you know, a better better kid, better brother, better co-worker, so on and so forth. So you're kind of you're going about your ordinary business because the Holy Spirit's doing that in you. And then the Holy Spirit is making you unusual in the fact that as you go about your ordinary life, as you work your job, as you pay your bills, as you raise your kids, you also got these unusual commitments, which are foreign to people who are outside of the faith. And they're foreign, in fact, even to people who are in the early stages of, of Christian maturity. S stuff like church commitment, stuff like evangelism, stuff like discipleship. When you're talking to people that are in the very, very early stages of Christianity, who, who basically are aiming at being non-bad, and that's it, they kind of see it as like a surplus, like this extra thing, this bonus thing that, that maybe you could do if you're so inclined, right? But as for them, they're really just pretty much just trying to be non-bad. And they're viewing that as, as being acceptable. So if you're actually trying to be meaningfully engaged in the sorts of things that God tells us that we ought to be involved in, it seems like you're doing something extra. That you're doing something bonus. And in that sense, it makes you unusual. And so the good life looks like a very ordinary life very often. In one sense. And yet in another sense... It looks like a very unusual life with respect to many of the people around you and the way that they're going to view it. The Holy Spirit desires, see, for us to prioritize our lives in such a way that we actively engage in our personal spiritual life. That we actively engage in the community of faith. That we actively engage in the mission of God in ways that people find unusual. With respect to our personal spiritual life, the flesh will tell us, save time. Save time. You don't have that much time in the morning. Don't be legalistic. Skip Bible reading and prayer. All right, God loves you anyway. You're not going to get into heaven because you read your Bible more. Skip it. All right? With respect to our engagement in the community of faith, the flesh will tell us, you go to church enough. Don't worry about prioritizing Sunday night. Don't worry about prioritizing midweek special events. As long as you're not doing anything bad instead, it doesn't matter if you're actually engaged in the household of God. With respect to our engagement in the mission of God, the flesh will tell us, don't worry about sharing the gospel or calling up another believer to see how they're doing and help them along. I mean, you can if you want, but if you're not really feeling it, don't worry about it. You're just a man. You're just one man. You can't do everything. You're just one woman. You can't do everything. As long as you don't hinder anyone's conversion or hinder anyone's growth in Christ, that's enough. 
The flesh is the flesh is always here, justifying based on the fact that we're non-bad, why it's okay to not be good. But the Holy Spirit will be at work at this at this junction of our lives to tell us that God's word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. And while it's true, we can see you don't get into heaven by having your devotions. You can't earn your way to God. God does love you whether or not you read your Bible any particular morning or not, if you're in Christ. But listen, God's word is a lamp to your feet and a light to your path. You're going to go hiking in the gully at midnight with no flashlight? How are you going to get through this world without a lamp to your feet and a light to your path? And Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. And yet you're like, well, I think today I will be able to do something without Jesus. I don't really need to be connected to the vine. It should be all right. I should be pretty safe. The Holy Spirit will tell us that we need to walk with Jesus day by day in our devotions. The Holy Spirit will tell us that we need the church, and the church needs us, and that it's called the household of God, and that God designs us to live in the context of community, and not be isolated and independent, and not just, not just be engaged in the bare minimum, like the... Like the, the the teenager who just basically comes home as, as little as possible to have a safe place to sleep behind locked doors and a free meal, but wants to get out of there as quick as he can. The Holy Spirit will teach us that we should be at home in the church and amongst our family. The Holy Spirit will teach us that there's much work to be done in your own life and in the lives of others. And therefore, discipleship is so key and so crucial for you and for other people around you. In the first place, people need to hear and believe the gospel. There are so many people who don't yet trust Jesus and are not in right, reconciled relationship to Him. And then you look around at all the people who are in reconciled relationship to God. And yet, because we believe that we are justified apart from works, and therefore you may be ungodly and justified at the same time, as Martin Luther said, look, a lot of Christians are a hot mess. And there's a lot of discipleship that needs to happen in the lives of so many people around us. Unless you think that it's just other people who need that. Look, it's me... It's you. What, you think you've arrived? See me, see me afterward for some pastoral counseling and care if you think you've arrived. Look, the Holy Spirit will be telling us that there's, there's urgent stuff to be done. All right? And simply being non-bad is not all that he's aiming at. All right? It's not the Holy Spirit's utmost desire for you simply to get you home to flip on Pure Flicks and be non-bad. Mm -hmm. 
It's not enough just to passively not hinder the progress of the gospel and try your best to avoid scandalous sin while tinkering your life away with other things. You ought to be actively engaged in growing in Christ yourself and sharing the gospel with unbelievers and in helping other believers along. Imagine you were a commanding officer in the military recruiting soldiers for a special mission. So you're looking for good soldiers. Hey kids, listen up, you might like this part. You're trying to find good soldiers and you're told that John Doe here is a good soldier. Throughout the course of his career, you're told, he has never shot any of our own men. So you ask John Doe, it's good that you have not shot any of our own men, but how many of our enemies have you shot? And the answer comes back, zero, sir. I do not actively contribute in any way to the success of our army. Instead, I simply make it my goal not to oppose our troops. Hmm. Well, that is not a good soldier at all. Jesus told a story about a man entrusting his servants with different sums of money. And one who was entrusted with ten units invested them and earned ten more. Another who received five invested them and earned five more. And the man who was entrusted with one did not lose the one. But simply did nothing with it at all. He was a non-bad investor. He was not a good investor. He was not a good servant. Jesus puts these words in the, the fictional man's mouth who entrusted this money to these servants. Speaking to the one who did not lose the one, but simply did nothing with it at all. Quote, you wicked and slothful servant. Insignificant and irrelevant morally. If we frame it nicely and take liberties with Scripture to justify you what Scripture condemns. But if we use biblical language and biblical categories, we would have to say that you're wicked and slothful. The Holy Spirit has not been given us in order to neutralize us. To make us insignificant, non-threatening, non-contributing soldiers in the war that we are engaged in. The Holy Spirit has not simply come to take us off the other team and put us on the sideline. The Holy Spirit has been given to us to open our eyes to spiritual realities and to call us to be actively engaged in the cosmic conflict between King Jesus and the forces of darkness. That is, to make us good. 
So yield to the Holy Spirit's illuminating ministry. Illuminating to you and applying to your life the teaching of Scripture. Making you truly good, both in the ordinary ways and in the unusual ways that He does. In the ways common to all men, He's not going to make you someone who doesn't work hard at your job because you're too busy evangelizing. But also making you truly good, not only in ways common to all men, but also in the unusual ways, particular to those who belong to the kingdom of Christ and therefore have been enlisted under his banner in the cosmic conflict in which we are presently engaged.